the Son of Man, suffering and glory. Shalom. Thank you for joining us for the Sunday Sermon of August 30th, 2020 from Christ Church, Jerusalem. Rev. David Pelegi picks up where we left off last week and continues to expand on Jesus' favorite title, Son of Man. Who is the Son of Man? The Son of Man is someone who enters into human life and gets involved with humanity with all its problems. The Son of Man also suffers and, like Abel, dies unjustly but is vindicated by God. Jesus calls us to imitate him and get sacrificially involved with people, and he calls us to be transformed into his likeness. It takes a lot of faith to believe in transformation for ourselves and others. It takes the faith of Jesus for us to persevere through pain and self-denial. However, when we trust God, even unto death, God promises we will share in Jesus' glory and inheritance. Before the lectionary readings, Canon Daryl Fenton will open us in prayer. Whether you're in Cape Town or Nairobi or somewhere in Libya and following us, we'd ask you to join us together as we pray before we turn to the Lord's Word. Heavenly Father, it's not lost on us that you're sovereign over all the world and beyond, and that despite that, you wish to meet us because you created us for yourself, that you gave your word by revelation through your Holy Spirit, and that as we come to it to read it and hear it taught, that you enlighten our hearts by that same Spirit. So as we turn to your word, we ask for your guiding Spirit to show us your truth. In the name of the one who came as the living word, Jesus the Messiah, amen. The first of our three readings comes from the Old Testament book of Daniel, the seventh chapter, beginning at the first verse through the fourteenth. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and beheld the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly, another beast, a second, like a bear. It was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns." 
I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. And then I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels like a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered unto him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts that had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom, the one which shall never be destroyed. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The next reading is from the book of Romans, chapter 12, 9 to 21. Behave like a Christian. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peacefully with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to, to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, 
If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing you will heap coals of fire in on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand for a reading of the Holy Gospel. Just from Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 and following. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciple, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet to forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some are standing here that will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that as we approach this passage of scripture, we pray that uh, we will come to a better understanding of who your son Jesus is and what it means to be his disciple. We pray that uh, these words will indeed challenge us that they will encourage us, but ultimately they will uh, teach and instruct and guide us in the way that uh, we should live. We ask for your grace and your help, and we ask for the Holy Spirit to help us to apply these things to our life. And we ask this in the name of Jesus for his sake and according to the way that he has taught us. Amen. I'd like to um, start by saying three things, and I'm going to say three things about three things. And so maybe this is a six-point sermon. I don't know. But first... uh, as I did this morning, I'd like to 
dedicate uh, this sermon or this talk uh, to the memory of Linwood Arnold Jr. Linwood was my brother-in-law. He died, I think, less than two weeks ago, very unexpectedly, of cancer. And uh, in many ways, his exemplary life mirrors what uh, Jesus is um, teaching here. And I'll come back to that uh, in in a little bit. Secondly, uh, for those who did not hear the sermon last week, Neville gave uh, a really good, uh, began a really good uh, explanation of the Son of Man. And this we will return to in just a second. And finally, I'd like to put this in a, in a third context. At home group, uh, a few nights ago, we were reading a Dallas Willard book, Life Without Lack. And in this book, he talked about faith in Jesus and the faith of Jesus. And this created quite an uh, animated discussion in the, uh, the home group. And uh, I think that distinction of faith in Jesus and having the faith of Jesus might be uh, very helpful, especially if we apply it to the Son of, uh, to Jesus and his understanding of the Son of Man. Now, again, as Neville mentioned last week, the, the Son of Man is... The, you might say it's, the, it's Jesus' favorite definition of himself. It's the term that he uses over and over again to describe who he is and what he's doing. And now, I don't know that many of us uh, have thought about it. We sometimes say Jesus is Lord. We many times, especially in this country, talk about Jesus being the Messiah. But rarely do we talk about Jesus being the Son of Man. And I think that's because while it was very popular with, uh, with Jesus and it's found virtually only on the lips of Jesus, I think maybe three other times it's mentioned in the New Testament, it doesn't make a lot of sense to us, especially if we're living outside of a Jewish context, especially of a first century Jewish context. And consequently, the, the term, the Son of Man, it has uh, a number of different meanings. Some of them, uh, maybe even uh, Jesus uses it in three different ways, and these ways overlap with each other. We may be familiar with the term, and we may use it to say that, well, Jesus is trying to, when he uses the term, talk about himself as a human being, as opposed to his divine nature. I don't think that's a very uh, good way or a very good definition of, uh, of understanding the Son of Man. And can I remind you that in last week's passage, Jesus begins, you might say, the discussion by asking his disciples, who do you say that the Son of Man is? And of course, we have the confession of Peter in the region of Caesarea Philippi. And then in the passage that we uh, just read, Jesus talks about the Son of Man. 
coming in his Father's glory with his angels. And so even in uh, Matthew 16, we have the term appearing. And I would like to suggest that if we do not fully understand yes, the term Son of Man, we will not really understand what it means to be a disciple or what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so I'd like this to begin perhaps at the most basic level. And at the most basic level is that Jesus, in some instances, at some times, uses the term, Hebrew term, Ben Adam, or in Aramaic, Bar Inash, to talk uh, in an indirect way about himself. He says, for example, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And I think there's, without question, Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, is first and foremost, yes, making an identification with people. It's not that Jesus loves the world or loves the human race. Jesus loves people and identifies with people. And certainly a good portion of his ministry is spent healing. A good portion of his ministry is spent um, in exorcism, delivering uh, folks uh, from evil, from, uh, from the demonic. A good portion of his ministry is um, given to meeting the needs of people, such as uh, feeding the hungry. A good portion of his ministry, of course, is teaching. And here, teaching isn't just an exercise to try to get people to believe something that you believe. Teaching, uh, especially as we see in the Gospels, is uh, an act of compassion, where Jesus is giving uh, guidance and direction to the lives of people who might be uh, very, very, very confused. And so Jesus enters, yes, the messiness of, uh, of human existence. And he, um, yes, identifies with people, and not only what he does, but of course in his lifestyle, Jesus himself never has a mortgage. He certainly doesn't own a Learjet, or at least the ministry doesn't own a Learjet. He lives off of the donations that uh, people give him. As I mentioned, he travels uh, from place to place. Like all of us, he will experience uh, the fear of death and have to pass through, uh, pass through death itself. And if we ask the question, yes, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? We really have to um, uh, answer that question. To be a disciple of Jesus, to be a student of Jesus, to be a learner of Jesus, is to be a disciple of the Son of Man. And the Son of Man, in the first instance, is one again, who enters human life and gets involved with people. There is a discipleship. There is a spirituality which is very cheap and it's very easy and it's very deadly. And that spirituality talks about me and Jesus. It talks about uh, my blessings 
and my challenges and my tribulation and my potential that uh, Jesus is going to uh, help me uh, realize my fulfillment. This is very popular in some Western countries, especially uh, in the United States. But if we want to be a disciple of Jesus, yes, there is no such spirituality. There is no such thing as me and Jesus. It's being a follower of Jesus, being an imitator of Jesus, means that uh, we have no choice, yes, but to be committed to other people with all their issues and all their problems. I think we have to make something, though, very clear. It's not that... Jesus only empathizes with the human condition. He certainly does. Uh, It's not that only Jesus empathizes with um, uh, the struggles that we have as uh, people. Jesus does not, and this is the purpose of discipleship, want us to remain, quote unquote, in the human condition. He calls us to be transformed. He calls calls us to be renewed or calls us to be different. And in order to do such a thing, yes, in order to believe in transformation, yes, that people actually can change, that people, we can all begin to, as we follow Jesus, uh, become more and more like him. It takes a lot of faith. Yes, and this is where having the faith of Jesus is certainly uh, essential or even important. It takes faith to believe that that getting involved with people actually is worth it and it's actually going to uh, bring about a change or bring uh, fruit. The change may be slow. The change may be painful. Jesus doesn't force or coerce or manipulate people. Transformation, yes, that uh, Jesus puts in front of us is sometimes slow, and it's always done willingly. Yes, it's not done um, in a coercive kind of a, a coercive kind of a way. So Jesus, as the Son of Man. Yes, Jesus as a son of man, Jesus as a, as a human being, yes, ha, is certainly one who's obedient, and he's certainly one who is faithful. And here I just would like to say a few words about my brother-in-law, uh, Linwood Arnold, because he didn't, when Linwood, being a Christian, didn't practice a spirituality or know a spirituality that... Uh, was selfish or self-centered. He was an attorney, and um, he was, uh, was an extremely honest attorney. Many times people would want him to uh, cheat or cut corners or even break the law on their behalf uh, or manipulate the law on their behalf. He refused. He always um, put uh, people actually before his career, was giving um, generously uh, and doing, uh, constantly doing work for people without cost or without charging them. He was a man 
who grew up in the segregated South of the United States, and long before it became popular, he hated racism and repudiated racism uh, simply at every opportunity. People were more important, yes, than his career. And uh, this is a, something uh, phenomenally, um, was something very special about Linwood. But Jesus also uses the Son of Man, perhaps in a second way. And here it's about, it's about something much more than being a human being. Son of Man, which is a phrase that we find in the book of Daniel, Son of Man becomes, for Jewish people, in the Second Temple period, maybe 200 years before Jesus, certainly uh, 150 years uh, before Jesus is born, the Son of Man becomes a person who, is, uh, who was uh, persecuted and killed for an unjust reason. And many times uh, when Jewish people were being persecuted, long before they thought of Isaac as being the first martyr, they actually thought Abel, yes, the son of Adam was the first mar- martyr. Now, I think everybody, most people who know even the simplest Hebrew, if we ask yourself, who is the son of man? Who is the son of Adam? Because in Hebrew, the word uh, man is Adam. If you ask yourself, who is the son of man figure? Then Adam had two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel. Abel was a righteous man. Cain killed him perhaps out of jealousy. And God comes onto the scene after the murder and says to Cain, you know, your brother's blood is crying from the ground. Meaning there's going to be in this murder of an innocent man, there's going to be some kind of justice, some kind of vindication. And when Jewish people were suffering during the time of the Maccabees, as I said, about 100 and 150 years, 160 years before Jesus himself comes on the scene, they looked through the scriptures and wanted to find comfort. They wanted to find solace in this persecution, uh, in their martyrdom, uh, in, their, in, their, in their oppression by uh, the Greeks. And they latched, onto the, they latched onto the figure of Abel. And they began to understand that Abel, even though he suffered, like their suffering, that God will indeed bring vindication. And that's what we read about in the book of Daniel. This is the book of Daniel as this marvelous, marvelous um, imagery in chapter 7, Daniel chapter 7. And it seems a little strange, and uh, we're not quite sure how to work out all this uh, all, the, uh, all this imagery. But one thing is for certain, that there is a figure known as the Son of Man in the context of violence, in the context of persecution, in the context of struggle. That's why I had uh, Daryl read the entire chapter. We read this verse, or these verses. 
in my vision at night, I looked and there was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days. Yes, obviously this figure is coming into God's presence. Now who is this figure? Yes, that's pre-existent, you might say. That's living with God. We're not quite sure yet, but in verse 9, it tells us there were thrones set in place. Why would there be thrones set in place? Doesn't, isn't, why, does, why would God need more than one throne? And so Jewish commentators uh, began to understand, well, one throne was for the Son of Man, and another throne was for God, uh, God Almighty himself. And so this Son of Man, he, what, what happens to him? He's given authority. He's given glory. He's given, so, he's given sovereign power. All nations and people of every language shall worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now when Jesus, in many instances, when he's walking around and he's talking about himself being the son of man, he's pointing to himself as being this figure that we find in Daniel chapter 7. Yes, this glorious figure who has sublime figure, who has authority, who has a kingdom, who has dominion, and that all nations are going to serve him or worship him, depending on how you translate the word. Isn't that incredible? Yes, Jesus points to himself, not only the Son of Man as a human being, but as the Son of Man who is uh, going to be glorified. But here is the hard part of all this. Yes, it comes from the context of of, uh, Daniel chapter 7, not simply the first 14 verses, but verses that follow. The road to glory, the road to dominion, the road to having all these nations serve him, it's not an easy road. It is a road, it passes, or one must pass through suffering. And it's only through suffering, it's only through death, it's only through shame, it's only through humiliation, it's only through rejection and misunderstanding that Jesus comes to this place, yes, where he has dominion and where he has authority and where he has power and where all nations and uh, every tongue and tribe so we read in the book of Revelation is serving him. Doesn't come through military force. Doesn't come through economic wealth or might. Doesn't come through influence. Yes, it doesn't come through, um, you know, you might say um, domination of a culture. It comes through suffering. And that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And that's the the passage. Just as Jesus uh, only came into uh, this place of glory through suffering or through shame or through misunderstanding, through rejection, 
um, whatever it may be, the same is true for us. We want influence. We want recognition, which are good things. We want security, which all human beings want these things. They're not bad in and of themselves. What's tragic is that we as human beings get them the wrong way. Or we grasp for these things. And at the end of our life, yes, when we're on our deathbed, if we're lucky to be on a deathbed, yes, all these things evaporate. And all these things vanish. And Jesus, in a way, offers us a bargain, you might say. And it's a very simple It's a very simple deal. The deal is simply this. Jesus says to us, all the things that you can't keep, all the things that you can't possess, all the things that won't last, or the things that you think important, give them up, let go, stop grasping for them, and I will give you things that you can't lose. You're giving up your life, giving up your ego, or giving up the wrong kind of ambition. Yes, can actually, um, you can lose that life and yet gain something, gain something even better. And this is the, certainly is it not the, when Jesus uh, in the passage tells us the following, he says, um, Whoever loses their life, from, it says, whoever, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet to forfeit <coughs> their soul? I remember when I first became a Christian, and I was at uh, Jefferson High School in Tampa, Florida, and it was in my, a few months before we graduated. And... Um, we were right. Everybody was writing and uh, writing in uh, our yearbooks. Yes, that's the the uh, tradition that uh, when you graduate, you get a at high school, you get a yearbook, and everybody signs it. And I remember everyone saying to me, <clears throat> "Don't put anything religious in that." And I said, "Well, you know what? <clears throat> I know this." this song lyric by George Harrison. Can I put it in there? And they said, okay, you can do that. You know, that was okay and that was cool. And uh, this verse that I just read to you uh, was in some George Harrison song somewhere. You know, if you can gain the whole world but lose your soul. I'm not sure anyone ever read it after, you know, I inscribed it in their book. Yes. But it's certainly a good warning to someone who's uh, uh, someone who uh, start, starts off. And so, in all of this, yes, in all of this, uh, Jesus being the Son of Man, he rejects the traditional messianic agenda. That messianic agenda, uh, which was very popular amongst Jewish people. What did they want? They wanted some kind of uh, military ruler to come and to cleanse the land and to throw out the occupying, uh, the occupying force of Rome. Now, it could be very easy to criticize 
the Jewish people for wanting that. But we as, we as non-Jews, the world you might say, or the non-Jewish world, and even many of us in the church yes, have not been able to internalize this, the so-called messianic agenda of Jesus. And as I said this morning, there are a lot of people who think Jesus is okay, Jesus is wonderful, but there are probably, but more people stumble not over Jesus himself necessarily, but over his program, over his agenda, actually over what it means for him to be the Messiah, what it means for him to be the King of Kings, what it means for him to be the Lord of Lords. Because the way that he rules, the way that uh, he is glorified, again, it's through a way of self-sacrifice, it's through a way of suffering, it's through a way of self-denial. And most of us, we don't want to hear it. It sounds very painful. In fact, the place where we most often reject that message is in the church itself. Because we're not really sure we can believe it. We're not really sure that um, that uh, giving one's life away and serving instead of being served and being last, yes, actually works. And so the church throughout its history, more often than not, maybe you can sometimes... Yes, let's talk about the church and nobody else or talk about believers. What we have uh, strived to gain power, we want influence, we want wealth, we want land, and we think that this somehow will bring, you know, will serve the cause of Jesus the Messiah. This is going to serve the cause of Christ. And so we have a lot of misguided corruption uh, in our history. And when we look back upon it, or even look at what's happening now in many places, it's quite tragic and should drive us to our knees in repentance. But there's one thing that's very certain. Whenever an individual or even a group of people will live according, yes, to this Uh, to the model of the Son of Man or to the pattern of the Son of Man. Yes, one who gives up, one who surrenders. Yes, one who serves instead of uh, seeking to be served. Then incredible things happen. The church is not only purified, but more often than not, history has changed. And history isn't changed by the church having armies and land and territory and large amounts of money. It's changed by people such as St. Francis, yes, who gives up everything and yet saves, uh, saves the church of his day from total corruption. Or it's, uh, it is saved by uh, someone such as... Um, Uh, William Wilberforce, who gives up his career, yes, who gives up uh, his, his personal ambition in order to fight the slave trade, or a Nelson Mandela. It's when we live 
Yes, the pattern of the Son of Man. That's when things change. And we as a community, yes, we have influence. And we bring glory to God and glory to Jesus. It doesn't happen any other way. And again, this is where the faith of Jesus is essential. Even, um, I was going to say important, but it's more than important. It's more than important. If we don't have the faith of Jesus, then how do we trust? How, how can we actually counter the voice in our head or the voice, uh, the voice we hear in social media or maybe even the voice of the devil himself that says, you're being a fool. You're not, getting, you're not fulfilling yourself. You're not achieving your potential. You're not being all that you can be. Yes, you're, you're not, uh, you're wasting your life, you know, by serving the poor. Yes, or serving the church by not uh, putting yourself forward and becoming a personality cult, whatever it may be. So we have this gnawing doubt. And that's, again, that's where the faith of Jesus What's so amazing about Jesus is that when he's at Caesarea Philippi, he understands, he understands that it's, uh, from that point onward, God wants him to go to Jerusalem. And going to Jerusalem will, will result in his death, but God will not allow him to rot in the grave. He had that trust that if he's obedient and faithful, yes, that uh, God will not in some way renege on his promises. I think that's a challenge for all of us. Yes. It's a challenge that if we follow in the footsteps of the Son of Man, if we're the disciple of the Son of Man, not just the disciple of Jesus the Messiah, and Jesus the Lord, but this Son of Man figure who comes, yes, to give his life for us willingly. Yes, that somehow we will miss out. That somehow we will not uh, find personal happiness or joy or, or security or money or whatever we want. And so having the faith of Jesus is essential. It's what I love about, again, my brother-in-law is that, um, yes, that uh, serving people and serving his community and uh, serving the church, yes, was not uh, in any way a waste or would not go unrewarded. Finally, you know, there's another way, and we'll make this short, there's another, you might say, aspect to, to the Son of Man. Jesus will not only talk about the Son of Man as being as, as, uh, as, as, as he being a human, he'll talk about the Son of Man as this one who will go to Jerusalem and be killed, and God will bring vindication. That vindication will be in the resurrection. But finally, there, there is the Son of Man, the one who comes to judge at the end of the age. And very often, Jesus will use the term, the Son of Man, and uh, uh, in that way, 
that when uh, the, uh, the age comes to an end, the one uh, who God sends as to hold all of us to account is, um, is Jesus himself. And we read it not only in Matthew 16, but, for example, in Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, all the angels with him will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another. Or even the book of Revelation, uh, Jesus says at the, the last chapter of the book of Revelation, look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. And here I think um, when we stand before Jesus, the judge, again, who will ask us to give an account of our lives, it's not only important to have had the faith of Jesus, yes, that same confidence and trust in the Father that he had. But here it's essential to have faith in Jesus. Yes, faith that um, faith that uh, justifies us, yes, or faithfulness that justifies us before God the Father, and faith that uh, he will be a merciful judge, and that indeed we will be rewarded Yes, for all that we've given up or all that we've surrendered, for all those we have served, for all the money we have given. And as we stand before the judge, we hope many of us will hear the words, good and faithful servant, enter in. And so faith of Jesus, having the faith of Jesus, yes, having that faithfulness, being willing to be obedient, having faith in Jesus, in the work he does for us on the cross, of course, his resurrection, yes, his mercy, yes, and confidence, yes, that what we give to Jesus Yes, we'll, what we give for the sake of Jesus or the kingdom of God will be given back to us. Remember, I can end with um, the verse, or a couple of verses, but I'd like to just point out that uh, this exchange, you might call it, the exchange of giving up what we can't keep, yes, and getting in return something that can never be taken away, eternal life and a reward in eternal life. This exchange uh, is put beautifully in uh, Romans chapter 8. So we'll finish with Romans 8. It says, um, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. So we're adopted as sons and daughters. But again, who's adopting us? The Son of Man. 
And so the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If we share in his sufferings, yes, and yes, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we also may share in his glory. So all those good things that we want, yes, often come by following in the footsteps of the Son of Man. And that will include suffering. It will include um, giving up, self-sacrifice, self-denial, and may even cost some of us our physical lives. But let us be assured and let us have faith. Yes. And if we don't have that faith, let's ask for a, a gift of such faith. Let us be assured and let us have faith, yes, that uh, indeed we will be rewarded. So, Father in heaven, first I thank you for the life of, and our family of Linwood Arnold, Jr. Thank you for the uh, marvelous example that he left us I thank you that he brought blessing uh, to so many people and that he lived his faith uh, in in such a genuine uh, way that uh, honored and glorified you. Pray that um, many of us can um, emulate him as he followed uh, the Son of Man May we too follow the Son of Man. We pray that you'll give us the courage not to be afraid of shame or humiliation or suffering or setback or trouble. And Lord, we ask that you'll give us the reassurance that in all these things, that if we do suffer with you or if we do deny ourselves for you, or if we do sacrifice for you, we will also be glorified with you. Help us in all these things, we pray. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristchurchJerusalem.org. Blessings from the City of the Great King.